The scripture this morning is from the book of Mark, chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own town, among his relatives and his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town, and if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil, and healed them. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. Great to see you. We are continuing in our study of the book of Mark that uh, we've sort of called King's Cross because uh, the first half of it more or less deals primarily anyway with uh, Jesus as king. And then the second half, he's uh, heading towards Jerusalem and uh, obviously is uh, going to come upon the cross there. Uh, We're now into chapter 6, and as we go into chapter 6, I know it'll be uh, uh, obvious to you why I think we need to, in our minds, I go to Chick-fil-A. Because uh, I was at Chick-fil-A for lunch once by myself uh, about six weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago or so, and uh, as I went up there, you know, I love Chick-fil-A. I used to get their their tenders, their strips, that's what they call them. Love their waffle fries, all that sort of stuff. It's just great. Uh, But I got up there, put the order in, and reached for my wallet, and the guy behind the counter said, your lunch is already paid for. I was like, what? I quickly looked around to see if one of you were there. (laughs) I thought, surely somebody from Stonebridge has been here and saw one of their pastors and thought, oh, I'll just bless old Doug there. And uh, I didn't see any of you there. So if it was one of you, you were very sneaky. So thank you if it was one of you, but I think maybe it simply was a stranger who had decided to do the uh, technique that's been known as pay it forward. Ever hear of that? Pay it forward. Lots of people do that where they simply want to do a not-so-random act of kindness to some stranger, simply in the hopes of making this world a better place, and it needs to be a better place, doesn't it? And so people will do this thing. There's actually a pay-it-forward day. Did you know that April 28th is pay-it-forward day? I didn't know that. I was trying to think, was it April 28th? But that seems too long ago. I think this was someone who, even when it wasn't pay-it-forward day, was paying it forward. 
That was really cool. Uh, how neat to see that someone, some probably a stranger, had done that for me. So lots of people do this, and I would encourage you to think about doing this. Uh, some of the things that people do, of course, would be to pay for someone's lunch like that. Another typical example is to pay for someone's coffee. You're at Starbucks or Dilworth or wherever, and someone's behind you, you just go, and they'll, they can do that somehow. It's a little scary to me. Are they going to make another charge on my credit card? Or I don't know. Anyway, but they can do that, apparently. Uh, another typical example is you're going through a toll booth on the interstate, which will have the opportunity to do before too long, apparently, on I-77. Uh, but, hey, let me pay for the person behind me as well. And then you pull up, and it's paid for already. That's what a cool idea. Uh, giving a large tip uh, to the wait staff, way beyond what even a nice tip would be. All those are examples of what it means to pay it forward. And it's a really cool idea, trying to make this world a better place. I think in our passage here today, Jesus is telling us, calling us, to pay it forward to pay forward what he has done for us to see that he can do it through us on behalf of other people. So as we uh, prepare to look into this part of God's word, let's go to him in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the Bible, for the word of God that you've given to us just in general, in this passage in particular. It is amazing to us, Lord, how your word can do so many different things. It can challenge, it can convict, It can rebuke us. It can encourage us. It can so inspire us, and certainly it informs us. Uh, We pray, Lord, uh, each of us come with different needs this day, and yet you can take the same passage and do just exactly what we need in an amazing way. And so we pray that you would do that for each one of us here this morning as we consider this part of your word. And, Father, for all of us, we pray that you would so work in us that we would come to you in faith, that we would come to you and be more in love with you as a result of what we've seen, that, Holy Spirit, you would be at work in us, working faith, whether faith in you for the very first time, saving faith, or growing us in our faith, growing us more in love with you. Would you do that, Lord, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So as we come to this passage and we talk about paying it forward, the first thing we need to see is that uh, Jesus is coming here, as it says in verse 1, to his hometown of Nazareth, and he is rejected there. It's amazing to see this happen. But he comes to his hometown, which is Nazareth. Now remember, he was born in Bethlehem, and his ministry is more or less based out of Capernaum, but he was raised in Nazareth. He goes to Nazareth, returns to his hometown, has his, has his crew there with him, the disciples. And while he's in the town there, the Sabbath comes. He goes to synagogue like uh, you're supposed to do. And while he's there, he begins to teach. And it says there in the passage too, that uh, verse 2 there, while he's teaching in the synagogue, many who heard him were amazed, but apparently they were amazed in a rather unfavorable way. Listen to the rhetorical questions they ask as they hear him teach or perhaps afterwards when they're having roast rabbi, I guess. Where did this man get these things, they asked? Do you hear the sarcasm that's just dripping here, these rhetorical questions? Where did this man get these things? This man, even. Not Jesus, this, this man. Where did this man get these things? What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performed? I can almost see air quotes. If they did air quotes back then, they'd have been doing that, I think. Remarkable miracles he's performing. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. 
Wow, welcome home, Jesus. Man, this is tough. Basically, what they're saying to him is, who does this guy think he is? Traipsing around the countryside acting like he's the Messiah or something. God himself, so we hear. Why can't he be like his mom and brothers and sisters? They're right here. They're not running all over creation. They're being nice, respectable Nazarenes, you know, Nazarites. And uh, staying here in their hometown, unlike Brother Jesus. What is wrong with him? Who does he think he is? And even in the phrase, isn't this Mary's son... Uh, hard to know for sure, but a lot of people think that this is a real severe slam against him because basically most people would be known by their father. This is the son of so-and-so and list the father. Here they're listing the mother, and a lot of people wonder if the implication isn't Jesus is the illegitimate child of Mary. Ouch! Wow! Like I say, welcome home. <laughs> um, And because there's so little faith here in these people who are rejecting him, uh, he can do few miracles. As Jesus said, as uh, Rick said last week, he is pretty awesome, but he's not quite there. As Rick said last week, faith in Christ is central to experiencing God's power, and they had so little, and they experienced very little of God's power. Very few miracles performed there. And so, as it says in verse 6, he gave them what they wanted, and he left. Wow. Uh, Things haven't changed too much, have they? (laughs) Uh, Things are a lot like that here in our day as well. Although it is interesting. Uh, I want to refer back to uh, something else Rick said a few weeks ago, the approval ratings. Remember he mentioned the study that The Atlantic did uh, a few years ago and how Jesus got a 90% approval rating only slightly behind Abraham Lincoln, who is only slightly behind you. You apparently are very much approving yourself. At least uh, Americans are, are really, we're very enamored with ourselves. We give ourselves a very high approval rating. So, but in any case, Jesus gets a 90%. That's pretty good in our day and age, especially perhaps a little shocking, but 90%. However, I'm guessing that the Jesus that gets 90% approval is not actually the Jesus presented in the Bible. My guess is the Jesus that gets 90% approval rating is the one who is declared to be a great teacher. The one who says, which we all appreciate, that we should love one another. The one who says that we should forgive one another. And particularly, the Jesus that says we should not judge one another. That's very popular. That's the popular Jesus. My guess is, though, it's not the Jesus of the Bible, for instance, who died on the cross to pay for our sins. Wait a minute, with the implication that I've done something bad? What do you mean? That's not too popular. Or the Jesus who said this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Uh, Excuse me, you want to talk about wisdom like the uh, folks from Nazareth were saying? What's the wisdom of that? Deny myself? That's not the American way. Or the Jesus who says he's the only way to God. The Jesus who says, in fact, that he is God, God the Son. Nope, that's where we take offense at Jesus. Because that is narrow-minded, that is so bigoted, we are not going to listen to that. That Jesus, my guess is, would get a lot lower than a 90% approval rating. Now, as we think about that, and assuming that all that is probably true, which I think it is, we can respond in one of two ways. We might respond like the psalmist did in Psalm 73. 
If you go and read Psalm 73, it's interesting how upset he is with people who have rejected God. And he starts railing against them. And he's pretty mad uh, for one reason, because look, they seem to have it easy. I've got it so hard. Why am I following after God and doing what he wants me to do when I've got it so tough and these guys have it easy? Have you ever thought that? You're right in line with God's word, at least at that point. But he also goes on to just get so upset with people, these people who mock God and who disobey God and don't follow God and are unrighteous and all the rest. And he's mad. And we can respond that way sometimes, can't we? We see what's going on in the world and it seems so awful and we can get very upset and angry with what's going on. That's one way to respond. But even the psalmist who wrote Psalm 73, if you get about halfway through it, He's so frustrated, but then he says, but then I went to the temple. In other words, he got his eyes off of them and got his eyes on God and had a little heart change, heart change there in his attitude. And so that's one way to respond. The other way is like the psalmist to have this heart change and to think more like Jesus does, who in Mark chapter 6, verse 34, that we'll be considering, I believe, next week, Jesus saw a large crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. That's the other alternative. To look at the lost and to realize the lostness of the lost and to have compassion, to have a burden for their situation, to have our hearts break for them because they have cut themselves off from God. The reason they were created was they were created by this good God to have a relationship with him, created in his image to rule the world on his behalf and to have this loving relationship that would be what is abundant life, the life that is truly life. And they have cut themselves off from him, cut themselves off from that. Life is hard enough with God in your life. How on earth people do it without him, I don't know. But that's what they've chosen. And we can either get angry or we can have a heart of compassion like Jesus. It was the lostness of the lost, after all. That's why we have Christmas. Jesus knew the lostness of the lost, and because of that, he came from heaven to earth to save the lost people. That's why he came and he calls us to do the same. To reach out to those who are lost that we might share the gospel, share the good news, and see if we can pay it forward like they do. Or like we've done, I should say. That's what Jesus does here in our passage. In verse 7, we see the first instance of him who was sent by the Father himself and who came here willingly. He now sends out the disciples. So this is the first time that he's doing that. And you see in verse 7 there, he says they, he calls the 12 to him, and he begins to send them out two by two, and then there's some other instructions there. Now, uh, you don't have to worry. You're not an apostle, so you don't have to worry about driving out demons and stuff like that, okay? You're, you know, that's, that's one thing you don't have to worry about. And even the things in terms of uh, going two by two to villages, uh, not bringing uh, any bread or money and such, even later on in the uh, Gospel of Luke, for instance, you see how Jesus says, hey, remember that time when I told you guys not to take any of that stuff? Did you do okay? Yep. Okay, well, good. So you learned your lesson, but now it's okay. Take money and all that other sort of stuff. So in other words, this was for a very specific situation, these particular instructions here. However, he did send them out to do something that he sends us out to do, and that is to tell people to repent. 
Now, they were sent out to go village by village. We are sent, all disciples ever since have been sent out to tell the good news to every nation and to call them to repent. And I hate, actually, that repent has become such a church word because it's really such a good word. It has such negative connotations, but all it really means is to turn away from whatever else you've been chasing and turn to Christ. So basically it means you're encouraging people to come to Christ, the God who made you and who loves you and wants you to have eternal life. That's the message that the disciples were given to give. It's the message that we are given as well. Now they were uh, to, again, just go to the uh, villages and to go two by two. We are to go everywhere. Jesus says, uh, after he had died, rose again, before he ascended into uh, heaven, he says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So just as Jesus is a Christmas story, there's a sense in which each of us are to be a Christmas story for somebody. You will be my witnesses. Now this is a very important verse for Stonebridge. You will be my witnesses, he says to the disciples in Acts just before he ascended. Be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Charlotte, uh, in all Judea and Samaria, Brooklyn, and to the ends of the earth, India. Thank you. Okay, you got it. So we've taken that verse very seriously, that God has sent us as a congregation, and we need to take it seriously uh, as a congregation and individually as well, because he has called us, he has sent us out to tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ. He wants us to have the same heart of compassion that he does for the lost that led him not only from heaven to earth, but even to the place like Nazareth, where at least a few responded to him in faith, even though they, for the most part, rejected him. But a few did, and in the same way, we, we are sent, too, to tell people about Jesus. We're, tell, we're sent to tell people about Jesus... Oh, boy. But, uh, but, uh, but, but we're afraid, aren't we? Let's face it, that's the scariest word in, in uh, the church world when someone says evangelism or be a witness and everything like, I know I should be one, but I just, oh, I'm so scared. I'm afraid. We're afraid what might happen to me in sixth grade might happen to you. And you all know what happened to me in sixth, sixth grade, right? You don't? Well, let me tell you. So... Um, this was so strange. So I'm walking, I guess it was during recess time or something. I'm walking down the halls with this buddy of mine, I thought buddy of mine, Cy. And we're talking and such. This is middle school. Middle school is so hard, uh, such a hard time of life. And, uh, but we're, we're walking along and we're heading to the music room where a bunch of other of our friends are hanging out. So we're almost there. The door's open to the music room. He kind of sprints ahead of me a little bit, grabs the doorknob, jumps into the music room, and closes the door behind him, leaving me out in the hall by myself. Ah! I, I didn't know what to do. I, was it something I had said? Had I forgotten deodorant that morning? I, I wasn't sure what was going on, but I had been left outside very consciously, very deliberately. It was rejection, and I slunk off to homeroom by myself. Rejection's no fun at all. Every one of us have felt rejection to one degree or another. I'm sure some of us in here have friends that have said snarky things about us. 
uh, on social media of one sort or another or defriended us or things like that, and that hurts. Some of us, we wonder if our parents really love us or not or are all those gifts and everything we get from them just a way to buy us off. Some of us are married and wonder if our spouse really is more interested in their job or their hobby or the television or maybe even someone else. And that kind of rejection, that kind of forsakenness hurts. And now Jesus comes along and he says he wants us to go out and talk about him to people who have already rejected him. I've already got enough rejection in my life. You're trying to give me to get me to do more? And especially in our context today, I don't know what it is about our society. You know, we're supposedly this liberal democratic society where all viewpoints are honored and respected, but today it's almost as if if you disagree with me, you are disrespecting me. And we can't even talk to one another without it becoming a fight. So yeah, we know about rejection, and we really don't want any more, and yet Jesus sends us out, calls us to pay it forward? Well, a couple things about this rejection. And the most important one is this. Jesus knows. Jesus knows about rejection. He understands. He has been through it. Take our passage, for instance, here. He went to Nazareth. These were his hometown people. These were his neighbors. These were his family members, even. These were people he had done carpentry work for. These were the folks he had graduated from Nazareth High School with, and they rejected him. They said all these snarky things about him. No faith in him at all. We don't think that didn't hurt. See, sometimes I believe, I think that we believe That because Jesus was the Son of God, he never experienced anything painful. Nothing ever touched him, nothing ever hurt him or hurt his feelings, that he must have been immune to pain. No, no, not according to the gospel accounts. Certainly this situation we have here with Nazareth. Another time, he was simply thinking about Jerusalem. He was on his way to Jerusalem, and uh, he knew what was awaiting him there, and he thought about it, and this is in Luke chapter 13, 35 and 36, but just thinking about Jerusalem as he went there, uh, as he was thinking of going there, he broke down into tears. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the place that kills the prophets. And his comment was, how I've longed to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you were unwilling. He knew that they rejected him, and it hurt. Of course, we all know the story of uh, him going to the tomb of Lazarus. We know that because of the famous shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. But he wept. Think about that. It hurt to see that his friend Lazarus was dead, just to know what death has done to humanity, and he felt the pain of all of that. We see in the scripture how he was hungry at times, thirsty at others, and he certainly felt the nails that held him to the cross. No, he knows about rejection. He knows about rejection, and he understands. He knows what it's like. And in fact, he knows it far more uh, deeply and more profound than you and I ever will. And that's what makes him the Savior. This is the heart of the gospel, in fact, the rejection that Jesus experienced that we will never have to. Because on the cross, 
among everything else that was going on there, with the nails and the spear, all the rest, it was there that he was suffering the rejection of his heavenly father. We know that because of what Mark says a little later, where he cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I've heard someone say, well, Jesus was mistaken. God didn't really forsake him there. Really? Jesus was mistaken? I don't think so. No, he was experiencing the rejection that all of us who put our faith in him will never have to experience the rejection of God. And that was the hell he paid for on our behalf on the cross. And that's why we sing the song, the the lyrics from the song we sing occasionally here. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted. You were condemned. So we will never have to know that kind of rejection. We will know rejection in this world. I dare say most of us have already experienced it to one degree or another. But we will never have to experience that. And whatever rejection we do experience, we have our Savior who understands. We do not have a high priest unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He's been there, and he knows. So the next time you're feeling this, go to him, read this passage, and remember how your Savior understands and is there with you. And he makes some promises in regard to this that are just amazing. Psalm 27.10, King David said this, Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. So no matter how bad it gets, the one who loves you most and created you will always receive you. And I love this passage. This, this is uh, a couple of verses I've memorized because they mean so much to me. But because God has said, and what's God said? Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Your mother and father maybe, but not me. I will never forsake you. And I will never leave you. He's always there with us. So because God has said that, we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Because I know I will never have to experience that kind of rejection, I'm not going to worry about whatever rejection somebody might send my way. So what does all this mean? This means that we, because of these promises, because of what Christ has done for us, because of what we will never have to experience through faith in him, we have confidence, security, and strength. And therefore, we can risk a person's rejection in the hopes that they will accept Christ in our attempts to pay it forward, if you will. We can risk a person's rejection knowing that we have the acceptance of the God who created that person, even. And finally, what I think all this boils down to is simply the conviction and the belief and the confidence that what Christ has done for you, he can do through you for somebody else. The forgiveness, the reconciliation, the new life that you have in Christ that he has done for you, he can do through you as you share Christ, as you pay it forward to somebody else when they accept Christ as well. To me, that's an astounding idea. So my question would be then simply, who do you know? Who do you know that you could maybe pay it forward to in terms of trying to tell them about Christ at some point? Uh, Neighbors, classmates, coworkers, family members, maybe some chance, chance, um, meeting at Starbucks or Dilworth or Chick-fil-A or wherever, I'd encourage you to write somebody's name down, even if it's just stranger, and 
to help you remember or to commit in some way by doing that or at least tell somebody or make a mental note, whatever it is. Somebody, Lord, would you send me to... He has sent us. Send me to somebody in the next month or week or today even. And, and do this. Pray for opportunities. If you ask God to give an opportunity, give you an opportunity uh, to share Christ with somebody, to pay it forward, what he has done for you, I just about bet he would give you that. Pray also then for the eyes to see it when it comes, and then the courage you, you'll want to have to respond. And then learn what to say. Now, D. James Kennedy used to say that the main reason we don't uh, share about Jesus and, and we're a little nervous to is we don't know what to say. Well, as of today, you won't have to worry about that anymore because here it is, a summary of the good news. And in all seriousness, this is kind of it. If you're wondering, well, what do I say? I don't know what to say. It's really a very simple message. And you don't have to explain, you don't have to read, you know, the whole Bible cover to cover to them. Just sort of sum up for them if you get the opportunity, all of this. And of course, you want to earn the right to do it first. You don't want to be one of those disagreeable type people. But earn the right to talk to them about real stuff and then share this brief message with them. And by the way, uh, you can Google Share Your Faith 101. Share Your Faith 101. Google that. It'll take you to a Billy Graham Association webpage that sort of says pretty much the same thing. But anyway, here's my version of it. A summary of the good news. Tell them first off the really good news. God has created this wonderful world uniquely built to sustain life and particularly human life. And he created us. We're not just sludge or demon blood like other religions say. All religions say the same thing. No, they uh, say that we're demon blood. We're not. We're created in God's image, actually. And he's, he's asked us to rule this world for him. That's, that's the highest compliment of any worldview that's paid to humanity. Astounding to me. So tell them that. But then say also, the other part of it, though, is we've rejected him. We've not made him the number one thing in our life, and, and we have sinned against him. And that's what sin is. It's not making him the number one thing in your life. And there's various ways that we do that. But uh, we've rejected him, and that's a problem. As Isaiah 53, uh, the first part of verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've strayed away from God, very intentionally. But, and then here's the Christmas story, Jesus paid the penalty on the cross. God himself came down here and lived the righteous life we haven't. And then died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. And that's Isaiah 53, the second half of verse 6. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Very simple. And then you receive all this by faith. That is, simply by trusting in God to do this for you. Asking him for forgiveness. Asking him to reconcile you to him. So you'll have a relationship again. And then asking him for new life. To transform your life so that it becomes a God-oriented life. And that's all from Ephesians 2. 8 through 10. So that's, that's the simple message, and pray for these opportunities. This would be an opportunity to pay it forward for you, for someone else. So a few by the ways to wrap up here. Uh, you might be nervous about this and scared about this, and gosh, I don't want to have happen to me what happened to Jesus in Nazareth and all that, and that's a scary thing. But again, remember, he's been through it. He knows, he understands. He can help you through it. Some of the people rejecting him in Nazareth were his mom and his brothers and sisters, right? And we saw earlier how they even came to this one place and they wanted to take him away because they thought he was nuts. <laughs> well, James, the oldest brother here, something must have happened 
Because by the time you get to Acts chapter 15, James, the brother of Jesus, is the, essentially the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He's the big dog, if you will. Uh, he's the one who speaks at the Council of Jerusalem and all the rest. And it's not James, the brother of John. He's been killed earlier in the book of Acts. This is James, the brother of Jesus, who once rejected him in this horrible way, and yet at some point apparently came to faith in him and was a leader in the church. And in fact, it's pretty confident that he's the one who wrote the book of James towards the end of the New Testament. Wow, how about that, right? And to take it another step further, so Jesus dies on the cross, is raised again, has ascended into heaven, and he says to the 120 initially just 120 people who are hanging out in Jerusalem waiting for the Holy Spirit to come, right? Then he does come and Peter preaches and 3,000 come and all that. But there was 120 in that room. Guess who some of the 120 were? According to Acts chapter 1, 14, his mom and his brothers. Something happened. It works, folks. In other words, Jesus is in the business of doing for others what he has done for you. And the final thing I would say is, how about you? You're here, if you're a Christian and you're a follower of Christ, you're here because someone said something to you and you responded in faith. All that to say, God does do this. God does do this. And he can do through you what he has done for you. Let's be a church that is not only known for serving, which we do such a great job of, but also speaking and helping people understand how they can have life in Christ by simply telling them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how we thank you so much that you did send your Son to us. And Lord Jesus, how we thank you that you have sent us as the Father has sent you. And Lord, we would acknowledge that it makes us nervous. We hate rejection, and and with good reason. It's not a good thing. Um, and yet you've been there, you know, and you thought it worthwhile to risk rejection because you understood the lostness of the lost. Help us to have the same understanding, the same compassion that would help us to get our eyes off of ourselves and on you and on them that they might, that they might respond in faith as we get opportunity in respect and in proper ways and with love. Tell them about you who has done so much for us. Help us to do that through your power, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.